I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Ephroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, uh, Helen, for reading. Uh, We're going to take a look at that. I'm going to pray before we do. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your uh, understanding. We pray you would uh, open your eyes, that we would hear you speaking to us as we look at the Bible together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was uh, writing some stuff. I should say my name is Paul, if you haven't met me before. It's really nice to see you. Uh, Nice to have you with us this evening. Um, I was writing some um, material this week for, um, for a different context, for a BBC um, daily service that's coming up um, later in the week. And the, the bit of the Bible that I've been given, the, the scripture that I've been given to write on were the words from the New Testament, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. And to be honest, when I got them, I thought, well, how on earth is that going to land in our current situation at the moment? Uh, it may be that uh, your um, you're feeling exactly that, weary. Um, I don't know how uh, life is going for you at the moment, but it's a time when many would say their resources are quite low uh, at this stage in the pandemic. You might be weary and uh, fed up of all the uncertainty uh, about what is going to happen over the next few weeks. What will we be able to do? What won't we be able to do? Uh, you may be weary of the political wrangling uh, unless you enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, are we in tier three or in tier two, or are we going to be, you know, if you've been following that? Uh, the wrangling between Manchester and London uh, and other parts of the country as well. Uh, you may be feeling weary of those things. You may be feeling, if I can use this image um, in particular, you may be feeling like, to be honest, you could quite easily pull up a drawbridge on the world uh, if you could, and you could say goodbye to the rest of the world and happily get on with things by yourself. Uh, That may be the kind of um, uh, feeling you have. And so the thought of not growing weary and doing good, uh, that kind of looking outwards, would land heavily. Or it might be that you know somebody, or you yourself at some point recently have had to isolate. Um, And again, just kind of from out of nowhere, uh, you suddenly find that you uh, have got to isolate. You may know somebody in that situation. Um, And uh, suddenly it's as though the drawbridge almost has been closed up on you. Um, whether it's the app that has told you to do that or you've had a call from Test and Trace or whatever it might be, that the drawbridge has suddenly been pushed up against you and you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm pretty tired as well. And to be honest, having that's been closed up, so what can I do? How on earth can I be looking outward 
uh, at any point now. That has happened to me. And so this is what I was given this week. And you can imagine, I thought, well, um, exactly how excited are people going to be here, uh, are people going to be um, wanting to hear me talk about this? Um, and then as I was working on that, uh, I was also working on this passage, which, to be honest, is about sort of bang on that kind of line um, and on a very similar topic. Um, and so clearly the, the Lord wants me to talk about this with you. Um, so I guess we'll see if I can in the next few minutes um, and take a look. What we've been doing through this past while is looking at Philippians chapter 2 recently, and we have been looking at how we strive together as a church family. How do you do that? How do you work together as a team? How do you work together as a, ch- a church family? Um, how That's what Paul was urging them to do. And I think perhaps the surprise has been It's not the grand, showy things. It's actually the unseen things that he points to. So if I can do a quick recap of where we've been, and Sarah read some of the verses a little earlier on. Earlier on, he was saying, when we we strive together, it means having the same mindset in verse 2. Having a sort of team mindset, having a common purpose and a common goal in the gospel. Uh, In verse 4, he said, look to each other's interests uh, ahead of your own. So as a church family, as a a, a team, look to one another's interests. Be like Jesus, he says in verses 5 and 7, and that's that section about Jesus. Be a humble servant like he was. Be a humble servant like he was. And then, um, most unshowy of all, uh, last week we thought about... Uh, him saying, don't grumble or argue with each other. If you want to work as a, a team, if you want to, to strive together, don't grumble. They're not very showy, are they? They're very, um, very unseen. Um, and in lots of ways, I think, having talked about that, what comes in this bit that we look at here is, is quite natural. Having talked about some of those ideas, he says, look, Paul says, let me show you some examples. Let me talk to you about some people I know who do exactly this. Because stories are helpful, aren't they? People that we can see, uh, examples in the flesh are helpful. So that's what he does. And that's the first part of our um, talk this evening. Um, It is quite simply examples of striving together. Let me introduce the three characters that we'll we'll look at. Um, Two of them, uh, one called Timothy, uh, one called Epaphroditus. Those were two fellow workers of the third one, which is Paul himself. He here is an example uh, of what um, he's talking about. And he's saying, look, us, the three of us, we are really trying to show you how this works. We're trying to do this ourselves. In the situations we're in, we're trying to do all of these things. So he's trying to say to them that all three of us have this same mindset, this kind of gospel mindset, where we try and put ourselves to a common purpose. Uh, We're trying to look to the interests of others not the interests of ourselves. All three of us are trying to be humble servants, and we're trying not to be grumblers and arguers. Let me uh, show you what I mean. He, uh, if I use the term, he, he picks up one term there called co-workers, and um, he's saying, look, all three of us are, are kind of, we're all putting our shoulders behind the wheel together in the same direction. Let me, um, let me show you. If you look at the, I'll read the opening paragraphs of, of each part, uh, the bit about Timothy and the bit about Epaphroditus. So Timothy, he says, I hope in the Lord, verse 19, to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I've no one else like him 
who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Um, can you imagine, Timothy, um, uh, he's got no one like him. Now, Paul, remember, is writing from prison. Uh, he's in a tough situation himself. So when he says, I've got no one like him who, who really cares for, for me, and he says, really cares for you, uh, the Philippians, someone who has supported Paul, and uh, he'd proven his worth, he says uh, in verse 22. Time and time again, Timothy has been there for him. Epaphroditus is introduced in verse 25, um, and he says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Uh, He's stuck around uh, Epaphroditus um, to look after Paul while he's been in prison. You can imagine him bringing him the things that he would have needed while he's there. Um, Often there's a contrast drawn between Timothy and Epaphroditus, perhaps Timothy more of the the teacher and Epaphroditus more of a practical person. Um, Picture that kind of, you know, a solid practical team member in Epaphroditus, the one who's uh, always there first and often there last. He longs for all of you. He says in verse 26, uh, he's talking about him, Epaphroditus longs for the Philippians. Um, He's already always there ready to give more of himself. And there's a story here about Epaphroditus, that Epaphroditus got ill um, and claim, came close to death. Uh, and he, he describes how Epaphroditus, when he was ill, was more concerned about the Philippians than he was himself. He was more concerned about them. You can imagine how easily it would have been to, to just to turn in on himself, to focus on his illness. And he says that he was worried about you guys. And Paul, who is the third example of trying to have this, uh, this mindset, this kind of team mentality, says he wants to send these two back uh, to Philippi that they might be a help there. So here he is in prison, and he's saying, look, I'm, I'm hoping to send both Timothy and Epaphroditus back to you. Now, to put this into context for us, um, what is he saying when he does that? Um, it is, Google Maps tells me, um, 750-odd miles between Rome, where Paul was in prison, and Philippi, on foot in the first century. So when he says, I'm really hoping to send them back to you, he's not saying, I'm just going to get in their car and nip round the corner and come and see you. He's saying, I'm hoping that they will be able to make their way back to you. And that is them striving together, because he believed in the gospel, at the good news of Jesus, that he wanted them to grow in and understand. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Of them, Paul says, welcome them in the Lord with great joy. Honour people like them. Honour people like them. Now, I have to say, personally, um, in this kind of uh, culture, perhaps it may, be, it may be my British culture, I'm not sure. If you're from other parts of the world, you may, you may be more at ease with this than, uh, than I am. But I think sometimes we can be a bit shy of talking about people in this way. It's not that often that we do this kind of thing, where he says, honour these people and, and, uh, and, and welcome them in the Lord. But I was thinking back over these past six, seven months of uh, the pandemic here um, and the church family that we have here at Platts, uh, and reflecting on actually where I have seen this, um, uh, this striving together in abundance. And in particular, if I, can, if I can speak of and commend to you our staff team here, 
uh, our wardens and our deputy wardens team, our PCC members, they're all uh, folk in um, significant places of leadership who look after our church, and so too as well our small group leaders of differing kinds, our house group leaders, uh, SBS leaders, uh, other small groups that we have. I have seen over these past six, seven months the time and the energy that they have poured into people. There have been... um, There were times during the pandemic when there were early morning texts or late evening texts when news was coming in that was going to change how things were quite rapidly that we needed to respond to. Uh, There were Zoom meetings in the uh, the evenings after people had had long days on Zoom already. Uh, There was a spirit of having to respond to differences, uh, different um, instructions that were given with a a flexibility and a a sense of humour along the way. Uh, if you think about some of the things that you might have seen going on here, planning how to have children uh, in children's groups in the morning safely uh, took us an enormous amount of effort, and I know it's involved a number of uh, you here. Uh, writing risk assessments, if you haven't had a chance to read our, our, our risk assessment on our website, it's, a, it's a, con- a considerable piece of work that enables us to meet. Uh, organising food parcels and meals to get out into the community um, and arranging for those turning up really, really early on Sunday mornings to organize the tech at the back or the music here, uh, connecting with folk across the church in a host of ways, uh, by phone and text and connections, and doing this seeking a real unity amongst us, or organizing cakes to be taken out to quarantining students uh, um, who aren't able to get out of their halls. I did suggest at one point that we do that by drone, but nobody, nobody went for that, so they took them by hand um, and have tried to spread them and share them. And aware of you know, different views across uh, the church family of how the pandemic uh, uh, plays out and, and different responses to that, but trying to strive together with a common purpose and a common mind. And so I'm unashamed in commending them to you Paul says, welcome them in the Lord with great joy. Honour people like them. Now, as I um, describe that, and we look at Epaphroditus and Timothy here, it may be that you're thinking, well, that sounds great, Paul, up to a point. But in all honesty, um, actually, that's that's not me and it's too hard. And we're in a pandemic and I haven't haven't got mental space for that at the moment. Um, And it feels costly. And I think the second thing that I want us to look at in the way that Paul uh, talks about this is, is exactly that, that it is costly, that striving together in this way is hard, and it is costly. And what I want us to do is to hear Paul's tone in particular. He's really sensitive to that emotional cost. Let me show you what I mean here. Paul talks about Timothy, um, first of all. Paul loved Timothy. He loved him like a son. Uh, he, um, you... Uh, Timothy and Paul had met, um, it's described in the book of Acts, not long before they traveled to Philippi. So actually, Philippi and the founding of the church there was one of the first um, uh, ventures that they'd been on together. Over the years after that, they had um, stayed together. Timothy had become like a son to him. They'd worked alongside one another. And then when he says of Timothy, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, he's saying this. He's saying, I'm in prison at the moment. And I really need Timothy. 
You've no idea how much I need Timothy at the moment. But what I am trying to do is I'm hoping to free him up so that he can come to you. And Epaphroditus. Now you can imagine um, uh, how much uh, he needed Epaphroditus, that practical help. Um, and Paul, um, the story about his illness, Paul was so relieved when uh, Epaphroditus uh, was, was okay. Um, he says to him, uh, he says about him, he was ill, he almost died, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He's saying, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have been devastated. He's just a co-worker of mine. Uh, we, we work together. I would have been just really devastated if he had died. And I'm hoping to send him to you as well. Someone he needed that much. So we might find ourselves thinking, if, uh, if, if, if Paul the Apostle knew my circumstances, um, he wouldn't be saying this. Uh, if Paul Matoli here at the front knew my circumstances, he would realize this is going down like a lead balloon. That I don't have much left in the tank. That there are challenges that I'm going through. And in comes this talk of being like Timothy or Epaphroditus. And that is just a tough thing to listen to. But remember in this, that Paul also knew the Philippians themselves were going through a tough circumstances. Uh, do you remember um, chapter 1, verse 30, where he said he knew that they were enduring the same conflicts that they'd seen him go through, the same suffering that they'd seen him go through. Paul had been attacked um, uh, when the church was founded. He'd been imprisoned. Uh, they were enduring the same kind of pressure, the same kind of hardship so Paul is writing to people who he knows are already under pressure and enduring difficulty. And Paul isn't afraid to speak into that. Have a look at just at verse 30 where he finishes. When he talks about Epaphroditus and how he almost died for the work of Christ. He says Epaphroditus risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And I wonder if when I... I in reading that, whether there is just a tinge of sadness in what he's saying there. Uh, a tinge of sadness that the Philippians perhaps hadn't been quite as willing to help and look out for Paul as Paul was for them. See, as he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, as he lays out what he's doing, I wonder if you can see what part of what Paul is saying is, can you see, I'm here in prison, and in my needs, and in the situation I'm in, I am trying to figure out if I can help you, Philippians. I'm trying to figure out what I can do for you. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, when you look at it? And I know that one of the hardest things to do is to keep looking out for others when we feel our capacity is already low. When we do just want to pull up the drawbridge and close off the outside world, or when we feel the drawbridge has been closed up on us and that there's nothing else we can do. So when you've had a day on Zoom, and I know many of you will have, and it's really hard to think, I'm going to do another Zoom with my SBS group, my house group. And yet you do, you log on, 
Uh, the screens come up, and you begin to give people time and attention. Or when you haven't slept well again, and the prospect of meeting somebody in a local park somewhere for a walk to, to chat with them uh, when it's raining and it's cold, and you think this is just going to finish me off. But you find a coat and maybe an umbrella, and you go and connect with them. Or when you think, I, I can't face giving that person a ring. It's the end of a long day. But you find your phone, look up their number, give them a call or give them a text. Or perhaps in that situation when you do find yourself isolating or you find yourself unable to leave home or you know somebody in that situation, and actually you think, well, what can I do now? Can I face the hard work of praying for those that I know? Can I remember them in prayer? And you pray for them. Or even just when you're in a tough place, and, and when we find ourselves in a tough place and it is hard to look outwards, but even still to be able to ask someone, and how are you? Even if that's all you can do, is simply ask them that question as well. This week I came across these words. Um, uh, they are by um, John Calvin, who um, is a theologian from the 16th century. Uh, I came across them, and he was, it's, it's writing where he was writing to encourage uh, Christians to keep striving together, to use these words, uh, to keep looking outward, to not grow weary. And I, I read them and thought, I'm just struck by how sensitive he is to how hard this is. Uh, let me read these words to you. He, he writes of this, he's saying, look, this is hard because the vast number of the needy overwhelms us. We are drained by paying out on every side. Our warmth is damped by the coldness of others, and the whole world is full of hindrances which turn us aside from the right path. Now, there he is writing, what, in the mid-late um, 1500s, nearly uh, 500 years ago, um, and I read those words and thought, that could be 2020, couldn't it? That could be now. You might resonate with that sense, the needy overwhelming us. And it, it would be overwhelming and is overwhelming if we didn't have a saviour, Jesus Christ, who understood exactly what this is like who understood and knew, and I thought to myself, you know, how much more might Jesus have felt these words in his ministry on earth, the, the needy who overwhelmed, uh, just the, the sheer number, paying out on every side? How often must he have thought, oh, it would be great just to pull up the drawbridge. But Philippians 2 has shown us, hasn't it, Jesus didn't aim for his own advantage. Jesus didn't seek his own interests. He looked for the interests of others. He took the nature of a servant, humbling himself, becoming a man, God becoming a man, that he might pour himself out for us and die for us on a cross. And it's when we begin to, to glimpse how much he did for us. When we begin to sense in your heart, you sense how much he did for us, how much he laid aside that we might know him, how he poured himself out for us, that we can begin to glimpse and I think find the strength to help others. 
But Lord, Lord Jesus, if you were able to do that for me, maybe then I could begin to do these things for you.